Steve really knows how to build up your confidence, doesn't he? (laughs) Well, welcome to week four in our series on the book of uh, Ephesians and the book Transformed Life. This week we are considering being alive for his purpose. One of the defining aspects of our culture today is a huge emphasis on image and outward appearance. A survey in a British newspaper said that on average in the UK, men spend four and a half hours a week working on their appearance. Well, I can tell you, it took me 20 seconds to comb my hair this morning. (laughs) Uh, Women, 6.4 hours a week, and teenagers, 7.7 hours a week. But here's where it gets a bit scary. At least once a week, 36% of men... 60% of adult women and 78% of teenage girls aged 16 to 18 have negative thoughts about their looks. That's almost epidemic proportions. And it's not helped by the media and popular culture. And we're bombarded by glamour, skinny models, fashion and celebrity status. Dissatisfaction with outward appearances is so rife that some who can afford it go for complete physical makeovers. Some celebrities seem to have a new image every week. All of this obsession with our outward appearance feeds a sense of insecurity dissatisfaction and low self-esteem. Why? Because we weren't made to live that way. If we look at the Bible, you'll be amazed at how little it says about this whole issue other than the basic fact that God is the one who gave us our bodies. There are occasional expressions of wonder at the way we are made, such as the quotation found in Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. In fact, we get warnings in Scripture not to get obsessed with outward appearances. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, The Lord doesn't look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now do you understand what that means? I mean really understand the immensity of that statement. You see, God doesn't see our infirmities our disabilities or our outward physical appearances. It's only the heart he sees. 
And this was made clear to me when I read the words of a six-year-old girl who brought the scripture to life for me. Now, how many of you have read the book, Mr. God, This Is Anna? Yes, a few. Well, I recommend you get a copy and read about Anna's remarkable gifts for yourself. It's a true story. And this is how Anna puts it. People can only love you on the outside and can only kiss you on the outside. But God can love you and kiss you right inside. Now that's the difference between people's love and God's love. Now what wisdom and understanding from a six-year-old girl. So that's what we are going to focus on this morning. Not how we look outwardly, but how we look inwardly. Our inner self. We're going to look at how, through Christ, God has come to give us a complete spiritual makeover. Our passage from Ephesians can be divided into two. The first part, Paul looks at what we looked like inwardly before we came to Christ. And then the second half concerns our lives after we came to Christ. Now if you could take a spiritual selfie before you came to Christ, it would look like verses 1 to 3. Then take another spiritual selfie after Christ and it would look like verses 4 to 10. Because we can't see inside ourselves without help, we need the Bible. It acts like a true spiritual mirror to help us gain an accurate picture of ourselves. Now I'm going to personalize this using me and I but just put yourself in place of me. So let's look at these, these in two parts. First, the old me. As I look at my spiritual picture before I became a Christian, it wasn't that there were a few line, lines and flaws. It was far more serious than that. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says... As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Not a very attractive description, I admit, but a true selfie. Now, there are three key elements of this picture. One, we were dead. We were alive physically, mentally, and in every other way, but in our inner selves, we were spiritually dead. That is, cut off from God, our Creator. Two, we were enslaved. We were unable to consistently do good 
and unable to have a living, loving relationship with God. Why? Because we were slaves to the anti-God, the anti-God culture and values of this world, and slaves to an evil influence, constantly working against God's plan for our lives. We were also slaves to our sinful desires and therefore unable to live right or please God. Thirdly, we were condemned. Spiritually, we were under a black cloud. Like all people outside of Christ, under God's righteous anger and judgment against all that is unholy and destructive. It's not a pretty picture, but it includes everyone, from the apparently good person in the street to the obviously depraved. Now, this has a number of implications. Now, let's be honest. Each and every one of us is in need of a spiritual makeover. So Paul moves on in verses 4 to 10 to give us a wonderful picture of our new identity in Christ. So to the new me. When it comes to our spiritual lives, our own effort is not going to make it. We were spiritually dead, enslaved and condemned, in need of more radical help. In Ephesians 1, we see that only the power and love of God is enough to help us. The power of God is his ability. The love of God is his willingness. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God came to rescue us in Christ. He gives us exactly what we need, a complete spiritual makeover. So let's look at the new me or the new you. We've already started to build up a picture of our new identity from chapter 1. In Christ, we are saints, blessed, chosen, adopted, free, forgiven, secure. Here, in chapter 2, verses 4 to 10, Paul adds to this list three more aspects of our new identity. Once again, I'm going to personalize it. First, I am alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Now this is more than a nip and tuck job or a bit of spiritual Botox. This is full-blown resurrection. Now all that happened to Christ automatically It also happens to us. Just as Jesus was raised from physical death by the power of God, so when we became Christians, he releases his power and raises us up from our death and sin and transgressions. 
So what does this mean in terms of our Christian lives? In Romans 6, Paul says that if you see yourself as alive in Christ with the same power that overcame sin and death living in you, it will give you strength and a power and a perspective to overcome sin and evil. In today's passage, what happened to Christ was hap- has happened to those who are in Christ. This is our memory verse. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So what does the word seated mean? Imagine having won a great battle and now sitting down with a sense of victory and accomplishment and of rest. There's a book by a Chinese Christian leader called Watchman Nee based around Ephesians called Sit, Walk, Stand. The basic premise is that in Ephesians 1 to 3, the emphasis is on us learning to sit or rest in God's finished work. Then and only then can we walk. Only then can we live a spirit-empowered life. Then we can stand, fight against the principalities and powers of this world, such as injustice and hate. But it all starts with learning to sit, to rest in Christ's finished work. We don't have to fight for victory. Christ has already secured the victory for us. Instead, we fight from a place of victory. The question is, do you know you are seated? Are you resting in Christ's finished work? This is what God says about us. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here, the language of new creation is unmistakable. When you came to Christ, he didn't just patch you up, he made you a new creation, spiritually. Just as in the first creation, God made mankind as the pinnacle of his creation, and God saw that it was very good. So when you came to Christ, he did a miracle of new creation in you, and then stepped back and said, wow, that's very, very good. My question again is, are you a sinner saved by grace? Or a brand new creation, God's masterpiece? For the answer to that, ask yourself the question, why is the Mona Lisa so priceless? Could it be it's not because it's necessarily the best painting ever, but because of who painted it? So don't focus on your outward appearance. Focus on what really matters. None of us deserved it. It's God's free gift. It is by grace that you have been saved. 
the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 5 to 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So what do we have to do? Nothing. Simply receive God's gift. And how do we do this? We put our faith and trust in God for what he has done. And those around us who don't know our Lord Jesus, we are to take every opportunity to give them an invitation to what God offers everyone who turns to him. And as we continue through this season of Lent to the foot of the cross of Jesus, we can look up and consider what Jesus has done for us by dying on that cross, by offering us a new life. And that starts with a complete spiritual makeover. Amen.